is Becky Gannon, and I'm Mad About Miniatures. Today, I'm talking to Chelsea Anderson. Chelsea just came out with an amazing book titled 50 Makes for Modern Miniatures. And she was a finalist and the only miniaturist on the TV show Making It, hosted by Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. She's on Instagram as Chelsea Makes. Let's go talk to Chelsea. Hello, Chelsea. Welcome to the show. Hi, Becky. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you on it. I am a big fan of your modern miniatures and all the things you're doing. Thank you. And one of the things I'm really interested in is the reality show you were on, Making It. (laughs) Yeah, Making It. It's about three years ago now, but it's still one of the highlights of my life. That's really cool. And of course, there's two reasons I'm interested. One is it's just interesting and it's about miniatures. And two, as I've talked about, my son Drew was on Holy Moly, uh, CBS season one. And so I remember the stories he told me about it. And I always find it interesting to compare. Oh, totally. It's so different behind the TV. I'm sure it is. So so kind of sum it up a little for people who might not have watched it. So Making it, I kind of like describing it as the the great British bake-off of making and crafting because it's it's definitely a reality show. It's definitely a competition, but the overall theme and just the feeling of it is very much lifting people up, which to get the chance to be on it, it's hosted by Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, which are both from Parks and Rec and are just like two of my idols. So all around being able to just make all day and have someone else put the bill for materials was kind of a dream. That does sound like a dream. And you were on season three. Mm-hmm. It took you one or two tries to get on the show. Yeah, yeah. So I I was a fan, a super fan from the very beginning. I loved it from the first episode and knew that I wanted to try and get on the show. But when season two rolled around, I wasn't selected and I was feeling a little heartbroken. Thought I was almost going to give up on applying. But when season three auditions rolled around, I gave it one more shot and I'm so glad I did. It's always good to keep trying, right? (laughs) So true. (laughs) Perseverance and timing is everything. Absolutely. Now, just to let people know, this is, of course, not a miniature show. It's a making it craft show. And you were the only miniaturist on it. Yeah, that's true. I think it was also before um, Best in Miniature came out. So it was kind of interesting because I I thought like they're they're not even really talking about miniatures and media. And I was like, let me just I've got a good shot at this because I'm probably the only miniaturist applying. So I had some hopes there that it would set me apart. (laughs) That is really cool. But beyond miniatures, you actually are quite handy outside of miniatures. Like you're revamping your home to a crazy extent and you're really good with tools, (laughs) right? Yeah, thank you. You know, I think it sort of comes from where I started. So my background is that I have a a degree in landscape architecture. So there's definitely a lot of that like consideration of how things are built. But even right before I came back into miniatures as an adult, I started taking some furniture building classes at a local woodworking place. I was making big furniture and I was really loving it, but then I really quickly ran out of room because I was living in a super tiny apartment. And the only way for me to keep experimenting with miniatures was to make them tiny, design furniture that was tiny. You mean the only way for you to keep experimenting with furniture was to make it Yes, yes. (laughs) Excuse me. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, well, that's interesting. So, you know, I've had a couple people on the show that have studied landscape architecture, and they always say that helped them with the models. But, you know, I've never really asked, is that part of the education process? Do they teach you how to make models? How much do you, how often do you really make models? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So in college, we made models really, really often. And all of my classmates would sort of groan when when we would have to be making a model. But I was always, that was always my favorite thing to do. So when I got into the actual profession, budgets are really tight. And with all of the options for 3D modeling and 3D rendering, there's so little need for physical models these days. You really have to find a client who's like trying to fundraise, which is how I ultimately ended up making my one and only model for my job as a landscape architect. And that was kind of the one final catalyst that made me go, oh my gosh, I love making miniatures so much more than I love sitting at my desk doing CAD. That's so cool. Now, back to the show. I bet all that helped you when you were (laughs) on making it because you've made furniture, you've made models, and you probably needed every little trick and tip in your toolbox. Am I right? Definitely. I think there isn't a skill out there that wasn't helpful to me on the show. So I definitely had to expand my comfort with different tools. And it was a lot of my my first time doing things on my own, like, you know, using the table saw on my own. And but fortunately, there was enough people there to kind of help you with the stuff that you didn't know and just really support you on the stuff that you were already comfortable with. So tell me about a few of your favorite projects. Oh, okay. Well, I have to start with my first project because it was the only miniature I I really got to make on the show. The first project that we were asked to do was to make a toy that was a representation of ourselves. So because at the time I was both um, making miniatures and working as a landscape architect, I made a miniature garden toy that could be redesigned and was all in the memory of my hamster, Martin, who was really the catalyst that kind of just pushed me over the edge and made me go miniatures crazy because I started making things for him and quickly became obsessed. So (laughs) that was your first project. Mm -hmm. And then I remember another project. It was a really cool challenge. You had to take like a closet and make it into sort of more than a closet, like a hangout space. Yeah, we were yeah asked to make a closet for someone in our lives. It could be our pet or a, a family member. And because at the time, my my husband and I were living in a really tiny apartment. Every square inch of our apartment was covered with craft supplies and miniatures. So my husband really did not have a lot of space to himself. And he likes to make music. So I made the closet into a music room for him so he could finally get away from all my crafting supplies. <laughs> and the standout in the closet that I remember is the guitar pick lamp. Thank you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I I think it's kind of fun to just use. I mean, it's just how we work in miniature. You're always finding random objects that you can repurpose. And I think it was kind of the same inspiration there. There was just, you know, you find a lot of something. And if you can find an interesting way to reuse it, then all the better. How many guitar picks went into making that lamp? (laughs) <laughs> that is a good question. You know, I don't think I ever counted, but I would have to say probably close to 300. Okay, that's a lot of guitar picks. It's a lot of guitar picks. So what was the easiest challenge, if that's even a thing? That's a qu- really good question. An easy challenge. Well, easy um, is. Was it like a yeah, fast challenge or something sure. where for whatever reason, 
whether it was up your alley or just things went your way? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, we had this one challenge that was a complete surprise. It was called like a procrastocraft or something. And it was the shortest challenge that had ever been on the show. It was only about an hour. You couldn't request any specific materials. You had to just use whatever was around. You know, normally we have like a couple of, of, you know, some downtime to just figure out what we're doing, but this was just go, go, go. And I think because it was so fast and felt so ridiculous to us and because there was so little planning, you couldn't really get caught up in it. You just had to just kind of be crazy and spontaneous. And I think that was very freeing for me. So I really enjoyed that one. Right. You just had to be in the moment. You didn't even have time to worry. No, no time to worry. I mean, Nick and Amy at that point were coming around and asking us questions, but you know, an hour is really not a lot of time. And so you couldn't even, you had to just ignore Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler, which is a hard thing to do, but that was probably the biggest challenge of that project. Yeah. So what did you make for that? So for that one, we were supposed to make a gift for our neighbor because we had made a we had designed porches in the previous challenge. And so I made my neighbor some plants, some like potted plants out of recycled cords from like electric cords. He had a whole sort of digital theme to his porch. So he had all these leftover ethernet cables and outlets and plugs and all this weird stuff. So, you know, I don't know that I would be something that I would want to have on my desk and show off, but for an hour, it was, it turned out pretty good. Oh no, that's great. I mean, I would have been like, what can I do in an hour? I can make you rice crispy (laughs) (laughs) treats. Exactly. And then you got to find all the ingredients and everything. So it's, it was pretty chaotic. That's great. Now, tell us about, you were a finalist. Congrats. Yes, I was. Thank you. And tell us about that challenge. So the the final challenge on making it has always been a what's called a shed hack. So they give you an off-the-shelf shed, and you're meant to transform it into something. And each year, there's a theme. And so the theme for our shed hack was my happy place, your happy place. And so... For me, I actually had, you know, my happy place was a place that I had already been to. It was like this really beautiful place that Nick and I had our our honeymoon in in Iceland. And it was just, just this all glass building with beautiful, comfy bed and a view of nature. And I had already made a sort of a miniature version of that, which I had on my desk at work that I could look at and kind of focus on when I was having a bad work day. So from those two inspirations, I just pulled uh, that I was going to make this really cozy nap shack, like a place where I could escape my worries and be surrounded by da- by nature. So I built a bed and lots of bring, brought in lots of books, and then I built a whole deck with all this grass and beautiful plants coming through. And to me, it was a really beautiful combination of like cozy and nature. I did not win with it, but it's still, you know, after the challenge was over, all the other finalists came in and we kind of hung out and hid away in my happy place shed hack. And to me, that that really made it, solidified it as like a cozy special place that everyone wanted to be in there. So that was prize enough for me. That's great. Now, did you make a miniature version of that? 
Yeah. So I had it, I had the miniature version, you know, it wasn't exact, but I had a miniature version on my desk at work. It was like a little terrarium that I had purchased and I, I built a little miniature bed and a little miniature bookshelf. And I had all these living air plants in it to make it feel um, like cozy and, and safe and close to nature. And so I still have it, but uh, I have not unfortunately been able to keep the air plants alive because for a landscape architect, I'm pretty lousy at uh, gardening. Well, I have looked into getting air plants in my minis, but they make a mess and <laughs> yeah, it just and doesn't yeah. work out. Right. You have to water them and you're either spritzing them or soaking them and they're contaminating everything else. So it's it was a little bit of a challenge. I have a hard enough time keeping my dollhouse clean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, exactly. no needed complication. You know, <laughs> one of the things I love is what you just said about your happy place. Because what what came to my mind the minute you said that is miniatures are my happy place. The mini community yeah. is my happy place. So that's just so fitting and joyful. So I have to ask you about your clothes because that was a big deal when my son was on, was on, he was given a catalog. They buy your clothes for you and you pick out your clothes. But then when he got there, they said, we actually have a special outfit for you. My son, if anyone saw it, looks quite a bit like Ed Sheeran. And so they gave him this plaid shirt. But then when they got to the background where they talk that was plaid too and they decided to clash so luckily he had a backup outfit that he had that he had picked apparently in LA even before the show like people would stop him and be like are you Ed Sheeran oh my goodness so we're always like we should pick like a restaurant we can't get into and pretend like we're your managers (laughs) oh I love that everyone should wear like an all black sunglass outfit acting as his as his security and you'll get right in exactly exactly (laughs) so what about your wardrobe did they buy it for you did they pre-select did you have to send pictures yeah we did have to send pictures of like all of the outfits that we were considering wearing and most of i would say most of my other crafters were able to wear their own clothing, but I guess they maybe thought that my clothes were too boring or didn't really match the story they were trying to tell for me. So while I would normally have worn like black or black and white and stripes, like all of that stuff didn't really work for them. And so they ended up putting me in a ton of like pink and like really big puffy sleeves and a lot of color, which was so not me. But I honestly think like at the time I was like, this is so ridiculous. I feel super foolish. But now like I wear so much more color in my in my clothing because of that. And I do have a bunch of shirts with like puffy sleeves that I wear regularly. So I think it was kind of like they were just like pushing me towards the person I was supposed to be. That's a good attitude because my <laughs> my first reaction would be if I was the only person whose wardrobe they didn't like. <laughs> I was a little insulted. I'm not going to lie, but it worked out. But you got over it. That's the important yeah, thing. Yeah, I got over it. That's so funny. I would have worn a clown costume if that's what they wanted, honestly. Like, I was just so happy to be there. I would have done whatever they said. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the attitude they're looking for, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's easy to work with. 
they do a lot to kind of like push the story along. And I, I was, I have to say that I was really grateful that making it like they didn't turn in anyone. Everyone was really happy with how they were portrayed from, nice. from my understanding. And yeah, because you don't, you don't want to, that's such a risk to go on television and like be telling these really close personal stories about your craft and what you do and then have them you know, transform it into something crazy or make you into a villain. So luckily they didn't do that, which was nice. Yeah, I can see why you'd be nervous about it. And also, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm under stress, I, you know, I don't always have the best version of myself out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's probably come up a few times too. But luckily they edit. There was one time, I mean, I was trying to help my friend finish her project on time. I accidentally like dropped part of her project and I have never felt more horrified in my entire life. I mean, we were able to fix it and whatnot, but that to me, like that was peak reality television, me dropping her project, but they didn't include that in the show. And like now my friend and I can laugh about it after the fact, thankfully. I'm actually surprised they didn't include that. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like they weren't trying to make anyone look like a villain and I wasn't dropping her project on purpose, so... We believe you. We believe you. Yeah, good. (laughs) Just making sure. So the thing they did to surprise Drew, I don't know if they did anything to kind of surprise you, is when he came out the first time, there was a full audience. And he came out, and there were all these signs saying, Go Ed Sheeran. (laughs) That obviously some, you know, intern had made or something. Right. And he came out to this roar, and... The look on his face when he first came out. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I feel like, yeah, there was probably one set designer that they were like, quick, somebody make 12 Esheran signs. They did that to us, kind of. They On one episode, they came out with holiday presents for each of us. And the holiday present that they came up with for me was a sculpture of my hamster, Martin. And I mean, we had so many really artistic people on set because they were all all these helpers. And so it was definitely like real, a really good hamster for something that someone created in, in about 30 minutes. But it was also a little terrifying. What was terrifying about it? <laughs> I think the terrifying part was just it, it, it didn't really look like soft and cuddly. I wish I had a picture of it, but I don't know. I honestly don't know what happened to it. It was like, looked like some kind of rabid rodent. Yes, a little bit. And I hope I'm not insulting whoever made it. I don't know who made it, but it, it, it really was so thoughtful. And then, you know, after the show wrapped, they, they showed me all of the alternatives because they had a couple of people make hamsters to pick, you know, they were going to pick the best one to give on the show. And the other ones were a lot more terrifying. And I'm not going to go into detail why, but I'm very glad they picked the one they picked. If the people who made those are out there, we understand you only had 30 minutes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That is funny. Well, this is a great segue into Martin, your beloved hamster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Martin. (laughs) Who was the reason, one of the reasons you started creating minis and also your first book. So tell us about your journey with Martin. A quick word from our sponsor. Don't miss the tour of homes happening right now at Miniatures.com. Every week, they're showcasing a selection of their 90-plus dollhouse kits, room boxes, and structures. And new to the tour, the exclusive Bardominium dollhouse kit. And for the entire month of October, automatically save 25% off any dollhouse kit or room box, plus free shipping. Visit Miniatures.com today to embark on your miniature adventure. 
my hamster Martin was given to me by my husband and it was not too long after I started making miniature furniture because he felt that I really needed a model, someone who could showcase all these miniatures that I was making. I fell in love with him immediately and I was trying to do all this research to understand how to make your hamster happy and have a a really like healthy, happy life. And one of the things I read was that hamsters live longer if they are stress-free and if they live a fulfilling life. And so I kind of took that and ran (laughs) off the edge with it. Don't you feel like everyone lives a better, longer life if they're stress-free and happy? Not just hamsters. Yes, that probably should have been obvious to me, but it it was just hearing it. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you don't really think about because like if you think about the hamster that's growing up, no offense, with like a five-year-old and is probably getting like squished daily and like gets put in the hamster ball and rolls around and then they lose it. And, you know, so anyway, I think he probably lived a little bit less stress, stressful life than that. Yeah. So I started making little scenes for him. uh, And it was, it was just kind of for me just to be silly and every holiday. And then I started making him on like the little vignettes of him traveling the world. And I realized at one point that I had a large enough collection to create a book, a little story about him. So I just put it together with all the photos I had taken. I I gave it a little narration and I self-published it. And I sell it on my website and I think it's available like on Amazon, but I give it to everyone I know who has a kid. And I always get, I mean, they could just be saying this to make me feel better, but I always get pictures of them and their kids reading it. And the kids are always smiling so big. And it just makes me feel so happy that Martin's memory could live on and, and continue to bring joy. You know, that's so interesting because we had a pet. It was an albino hedgehog. (laughs) and his name was snowballs not snowball (laughs) which everyone thought was funny my son drew named him that and didn't understand the connotation (laughs) and i guess i didn't have enough uh guts to explain it to him it's a it's a better story now i think (laughs) yeah it's a better story now so i wish i had been into miniatures then because snowballs the hedgehog was really quite special he was an olympic champion I love that for Snowball. In Colorado Springs, I don't know if they still do this, every other year they would have a hedgehog show, which is much like a dog show. You present the hedgehog and they touch and handle him and rate him on his physical being and behavior. Oh my goodness. Hedgeep did okay on that. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. He did not meddle in that particular area. But when we got to the Olympic part of it, we didn't really know much about it, but Drew had trained him to run around in a ball. Amazing. So anyway, <laughs> we there was the shot put, the hurdles, <laughs> all these different events. And the shot put is you put him in a ball and then he, he hits another ball. In no way, the hedgehog was not used as a shot put. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we went to this thing in Colorado Springs. You know, I told... Drew not to expect much, but as I picked up the hamster ball to put him on the track, Hedgie started running furiously, and I came back, and I did say to my husband and my son, Hedgie is invested. He's in it to win it, and win it he did. He wanted that prize. He won gold and silver in all five events. In the hurdles, he was going the wrong way, and they let Drew go down to the other end and call for him like you would a cat or dog, and Hedgie turned around to victory. (laughs) 
But anyway, it was a very exciting thing, and I. But I wish I had taken more pictures of him, and I wish I'd made him little mini, mini things. I, and I would have. Aww. I always wish I'd written a book about his Olympics. I feel like that is so amazing. That is the kind of memory that you keep with you for the rest of your life. It is funny you say that because my husband was like, this is going to be weird. And I said, yeah, I get it. (laughs) But they're not going to remember all the times we took them to, you know, historical monuments or Disney. But they will never (laughs) forget the time mom and dad took them to the Hedgehog Olympics. (laughs) Never. Definitely not. So back to you and Martin. So that was your first book. (laughs) And drum roll, you've got another book coming out. I do. Yes. So I have a book. It's called 50 Makes for Modern Miniatures, and it comes out October 3rd. That's 50 Makes for Modern Miniatures. Yep, that's correct. Great. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the book. Can you tell us a little bit about, about what will be in it? Yeah, absolutely. So this book, I would say, you know, it's definitely geared towards beginners, but I think that people who just really love making miniatures will find something to take away from it because I really just wanted to go beyond the construction of the dollhouse and just focus on the fun part, I think, which is making all the accessories for it. So in this book, we walk you through 50 projects. It's, you know, a certain amount of projects for every room in the house. So we start with the living room, the dining room, we do the bathroom, kitchen, bedroom, and then we even do a little outdoor scene. And I think there's just a lot of variety in the the project types. I'm obviously biased, but I think they're all really beautiful. And I I tried my best to make sure all the instructions were super, super clear and easy to follow. I can't wait to try them because I love that they're both easy, but you know what? You can always make a project harder. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, I find myself making things way more difficult for myself constantly. Do you have a favorite? I'm sure they're all beautiful, but is there a particular project (laughs) that you want to tell us about? A room, a project? Yeah, I have favorites in every room of the house. Like, you know, for the outdoor scene, there's the little patio chairs and they've all got, you know, moving components. The seats go back and forth. Yes, very fancy. (laughs) I think there's something very appealing about miniatures that have like a working element to them. And I think that comes true a lot in the kitchen as well, because I mean, my favorite piece is like the kitchen island, but there's also a refrigerator and an oven and both of those have, you know, hinged openings so you can have a a working component there as well. And so I think there's just, there's definitely a lot of good challenges in, in the kitchen scene, which I think make it both challenging and fun. So how did this come about? One night I was thinking about the Martin book and I was like, man, you know, it was really fun making that book. I kind of wish that I could do another book, but I don't want to self-publish because it's very hard to get things out there when you're self-publishing. If it wasn't the next day, it was just a couple of days later that I got an email from David and Charles, which is my publisher, asking if I had any interest in writing a book. I wasn't sure if maybe it was a scam. And so I was really skeptical about it at the time. But the more I researched and the more I talked to them, the more confident I was that this was a real ask, that they actually wanted me to write a book. You know, I don't think that's the kind of opportunity that comes around very often. So even though we were in the midst of closing on our our first home and all these other crazy things, I, I said yes. And I took it on. And it took me, oh gosh, maybe I had a very short timeline. So I think I had to finish the first draft in like four months, which to me felt very fast. (laughs) It is fast. Yeah. 
Definitely. I had to really clear my schedule to make sure that I was giving myself enough time because, you know, I, I wanted to write a book, but your name's on it. So I didn't want it to just be fluff. You know, I wanted there to be really solid projects in there. So definitely took, took a significant amount of time. Definitely some late nights for sure. I'm going to do a little pushing of the book for you. It's on Amazon, right? Yes. Yep. You can get it at Target, Barnes and Noble. And then you can actually, I think it's, I'm, I'm going to, I'll have to double check. I think it's bookstores.org or something like that, that you can get it from your local bookstore, which I love. So you can support your your local place. Well, that's so cool. I can't wait to read the book and make a project from the book. You must be so excited. Oh, thank you, Becky. What was your favorite part about doing the book? Oh, goodness. You know, I think for me, a lot of times I set out to do something just because I need to prove to myself that I can do it. And I think that was a lot of what was driving me so much to, to try and get on making it. But I think that's true for the book too. Like it was such an immense amount of work and the fact that I just was able to do it and and be proud of the final product, that was the best part. I mean, it just it really to show yourself what you're capable of is always a really impressive thing. That is so cool. And earlier you told me that the show actually gave you the confidence to leave your job and concentrate on minis full time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, after I started getting into miniatures just on the side, I came up with this idea to make dollhouse kits that I could sell. And I started doing that. I wanted to hire a local stop motion artist to make some advertisements for me. And it just so happened that she needed someone who could make miniature sets. So we kind of traded. She showed me how to do stop motion and I, I built some scenes for her. And from there, it kind of, it got me a little bit into the commercial side of making miniatures. And even though I was doing that while I was still at my full-time job, I never really felt like it would amount to anything. I just didn't feel like I could earn enough to leave, leave my day job. And once I finished making it, I just kind of realized, you know, I'm, 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 I'm okay at this. I'm pretty good at this. I, I can do something else. I can do something that's going to make me happy. And so that was the kind of final push I needed. That's great. And you've done some really interesting commercial projects. Can you tell us about some of them? Yeah, I have, I've been really lucky to have a couple of really great repeating clients. So I have done a couple of seasonal things for Warby Parker, which is a glasses company and Dolce Vita, which is a shoe company. I mean, I've always loved them because they come up with really great ideas that they want to push forward. And I think there's something about them that if you have to decide what to make, on your own. There's just an endless possibility of things to make. But if you have someone who has an idea and you get to just bring it to life, it really forces you to do things that you might not expect. It forced me to learn 3D printing because I had to make a eye exam chair for Warby Parker, which was not something I dared sculpt myself. Oh my God. So it really, yeah, it really pushed me to learn a lot of new things. And I, and I really appreciate it for that. And I love your little glasses because really there aren't a lot of little miniature glasses out there. No, there aren't. I mean, you know, Barbie always has like some version of something. You don't see them much in one one twelfth. And I, I wear glasses a lot in my everyday life. And I love your little glasses. How do you, if you 3D print them, how do you color them to get that tortoise shell look? Is that just, is that paint? Is that marker? Yeah, it is. It's permanent marker. But actually, it's the glasses, I, I don't 3D print them. I laser cut them. And I just use a really, really super thin piece of acrylic because I think that makes the scale a little bit more believable. And so I just use permanent markers to make a modeled effect on them. And, I, and it just works really well for some reason. 
That's so cool. And <laughs> you've also made shoes. Do you 3, 3D print those? I do. And that honestly, like I think out of everything I've ever made, <laughs> the shoes are always the hardest because I do a lot of my modeling in in Fusion 360. And I, I'm just like more comfortable with like very, very simple shapes. You know, you can make a bottle, but when you are starting to do shoes, they're not, they're not symmetrical on either side because they're forming to a foot that's not symmetrical. And so there's a lot of challenges with designing footwear that I would have never known about until I started doing these projects for Dolce Vita. Yeah. And these are high-end designer yeah. Yeah. Jeez, so the shape and everything has to be just right. Yes. A lot of focus on the exact coloring and and making sure that everything like really matches the actual product. So it definitely has forced me to to practice and learn and get a lot better. And those are kind of glamorous clients. You also have a kitty litter client. <laughs> is that right? Yes, I do. You know, I always try to work with people that like whose product I actually use. So I'm really not, you know, it doesn't have to be a fancy brand for me. I have my cat, Millie. She uses Pretty Litter, and I was lucky enough to make a little miniature litter box and a little bag of litter for them. And then Millie got to be in the little advertisement I made for them. So she was very happy because she was uh, rewarded with cat treats, and she even got a toy. (laughs) So you said you work with brands you like. So does that mean, do you just kind of write them and say, hey, I like your product and I have an idea? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much how it almost almost always starts. I mean, on occasion, I've gotten a few brands that have reached out to me, but more than anything, I start by just contacting the companies I know and love because then, you know, it it kind of crosses the boundary between influencer and like content creator. And I don't want to be promoting something that isn't true to who I am and what I use in my house and and my standards. And so it's really important. Yeah. It's important to me to, to reach out to companies that I know and love first, first and foremost. That's great. And that's great advice for people wondering how to get into corporate work. You know, you don't have to wait for other people to decide you can do it. You can go out and ask people. Definitely. Yes. I think that's good advice. And then you also have a client, one of my favorite furniture stores, Room and Board. Yes, I do. And that one came to me in a pretty interesting way because right when we were closing on our house, you know, we're obviously (laughs) using most of our savings to buy the house and put put a down payment in. And we suddenly realized we have no furniture. We've been living in a tiny apartment (laughs) for a very long time. So my first instinct was to just start reaching out to furniture companies and seeing if any of them would be interested in, in miniature work. And Room and Board was really eager and they were happy. So I picked out a couple of items that I thought would look great in the house. And then I got to make miniature versions of them for room and board. So to me, that was like win, win, win all over the place. I got to make miniatures. I got beautiful, beautiful furniture. And now I have the two of them side by side in the house. So I get to constantly compare them. That is really cool. What other plans do you have for the future? I don't know. You know, I think I'm just trying to stay busy. I'm always working on my dollhouse kits and having a house now. I am just constantly facing new challenges and new products and new things that I have to accomplish. And there's so many projects to handle with the fixer upper. So always balancing miniatures and these full size projects is definitely, uh, definitely something that I'll be continuing on in the future. For those of you who don't follow Chelsea, First of all, please go and do that. (laughs) Thank you. 
your account is a little different because you kind of combine working on your house with your miniatures. Yeah, I know. It is a little bit weird. I don't think it's weird. Okay, I said unique. Okay, good. Yes, unique. Yes, that's a beautiful way for it. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of love that. There's this great shot of what looks like kind of a, I'm just going to be honest, a decrepit pond. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, be honest, be honest. And it's actually a pool. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine taking that pond-like structure. (laughs) I mean, the transformation you made there was incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When we saw the listing photos, we thought it was a pond. So when we were told on on the viewing that that was actually a pool, we were completely shocked. And it took a lot of hard work, but you know, we we got it. We got it up to up to speed and now we've been enjoying it all summer and anything that we can do that we can just like learn from a YouTube video how to do, like we're happy to do it because we we're not afraid to try and we just got to save money we can, not to be perfectly honest. I'm impressed. Honestly, my husband and I would have been like, let's go get a big dump truck of dirt and plant a tree. <laughs> Honestly, by the time we emptied it, there was so much dirt in it that probably would have been the easier route. But at this point in summer now, or it's I guess it's fall, but it's been so hot these last few weeks that we were just glad to have something to dive into. Oh, no, it turned out great. <laughs> and then... The other thing I love about your approach to minis and, and as particularly this home project is you show yourself doing a mural. Mm-hmm. And I love you saying, I know a lot of people aren't going to like this. They're going to say, I don't do this in my house. Although you said it very nicely, oh, more <laughs> nicely than I'm saying it here, you know, but that's okay. That's what I like. I, I don't want my house to look like your house. I want my house to look like my house. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated me with me, first of all, because that's how I feel about my house. But also, it really connected to me for miniatures. I mean, I think that's part of the reason we create miniatures, because we want to create something unique that's us, Yeah, that, that speaks to us. I mean, for me personally, especially in that video, like, I, I'm kind of saying it to, to brace myself, because with every with every home renovation project we've done, there's been negative comments in one way or another. And, you know, at everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but for me, I'm, I'm, I'm very sensitive. So, you know, just knowing that when I'm making decisions, I have to make them for myself and not for everyone else is really important. And I am the type of person that really easily gets caught up in comparison. Like, you know, I want everyone to like the things I'm making, the things I'm doing, especially when it comes to miniatures. Like I, I try to remind myself, like I look at other people and I'm like, oh, I could never make that. I could never make that. But I'm making things that are beautiful and wonderful. And I just have to be able to appreciate the things I do make and not be too worried about the things I can't or don't. That works in great with my theme, which is it's your dollhouse. Yeah. <laughs> your rules, your dollhouse. Your rules, your dollhouse. I love that. And I think that really means... Make the dollhouse that makes you happy, not that makes the internet happy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The other thought that occurred to me is, you know, I think I'm very lucky in a way that I just do miniatures because I have not gotten a lot of negative comments. No, I'm (laughs) certainly not asking for them. No. And I really appreciate that. But, you know, you said everyone has the right to express their opinion. Absolutely they do. Mm -hmm. But my mom used to say, 
just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you have to express it out loud. You know? I wish that everyone had been taught that lesson. But yeah, I know the miniatures community is so wonderful. I never get any, I never get any mean comments about miniature items. And who, I mean, of course, because who could hate miniatures? But I don't know, when it comes to real size interiors, everyone feels their input is the most important. Well, I think it's even more than who could hate miniatures. I mean, I look back, especially the things I first put up, but no one was ever anything but encouraging and nice, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I look back at the early things and I'm like, oh, my goodness, thank goodness I improved. But honestly, also, how nice is it to have Instagram as this like collection to look back on and to see how far you've come? It's really cool. It is really cool. There's so much that's good about it. I love that we've made our little corner of the internet such a lovely place. I want to leave my corner of the world a better place. So have it be better because I'm in it. And I don't mean I don't mean that in an ego way. I mean I want yeah. I want to contribute something positive to it. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. I want to be a positive force if I can. If we all reached out and tried to make our corner of the world a better place, all the corners would be better. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but like I spend a lot of time making tiny things. And sometimes I go, what am I doing? Like, what am I spending? I'm spending all this time to make a miniature. And then I really think about it and I go, you know, miniatures make me happy. They make other people happy. And honestly, what could possibly be more important than that? That is so, so true. I think about that all the time. Sometimes I feel like I haven't always prioritized things that make me happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think to myself, why am I prioritizing anything that doesn't make me happy? Right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's kind of what COVID did for me. It gave me so much time. Oh, absolutely. To fill. And, you know, after COVID, there was a little period where I was like, well, I don't have time to do any miniatures anymore. And then I was like, wait a minute. You know, I I got my priorities straight during COVID and maybe I need to keep them that way. Yeah. Yeah. If it makes you happy, then it's worth doing. As long as it's not hurting anybody else, which I don't think miniatures would fall in that category. (laughs) Of course. Of course. I mean, that goes without saying. As long as you're not breaking major laws. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All the caveats you can think of. Yeah, but but that's what we mean. That little asterisk in there. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Chelsea, it's just been a delight talking to you, and I can't wait for your book to come out. Thank you. I always love chatting with you, and it was so nice to to be on here and, and get to talk all things mini. Yes. There's no bigger delight than to be able to talk to another miniaturist, I feel. (laughs) That's so true. And what I love about it is it's like a shortcut to making friends because you have this thing in common. Yeah, that's a really nice way of looking at it. That's so true. I think it is. So it's been a pleasure. We wish you all the success in the world with the book. Thank you. We'll check in with you after it's been published. Perfect. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye, Chelsea. Bye. I love talking to Chelsea, and I'm excited to try some projects from her new book. If you liked the podcast, please consider following or leaving a review. It really helps my podcast audience grow. My next podcast is out Tuesday, October 31st, and features the organic, nature-inspired miniatures of Tamar Cohen. Tamar's original, Art Nouveau designs grabbed my attention, and I knew I had to interview her and find out more about her and her spectacular miniatures. Tamar is on Instagram at Miniaturet. 
Until then, remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except those you create for yourself. Goodbye.